Being with someone who drinks, especially if you're on your own sober curious or sober journey, it could really bring up some possible codependency. You might try to save your partner. You might try to fix them or get them on your own path. And it's just, you can't. You have to take care of your own sobriety first, whatever that looks like. Welcome to the show that drops in on people's moments of clarity surrounding their choice to not drink. I'm Kate Madry, and I'm so happy you're here. Sobriety is like a thumbprint, and just like your skincare routine or your self-care routine, everyone's sober care routine is very different. By the end of each conversation, you'll leave with a little bit more insight to help guide you while building your sober care routine. This is a clear-headed podcast. Dry humping. We're talking about it today. And that is also the title of my guest's book, Tawny Lara is a New York-based millennial known as the Sober Sexpert. Her writing has been featured in Playboy, Men's Health, Huffington Post, just to name a few. And this conversation is more than juicy. If you can believe it, we talk about sex in a way that I have never had a conversation before. The importance of intimacy, knowing yourself, confidence, how to date when you're sober, how to date somebody who isn't sober, and beyond. So if you can time travel with me back to when you realized alcohol was no longer serving you, what was that moment or what were those moments like? I love this question so much because I did not personally have a theatrical cinematic rock bottom moment that we often hear about. I was sitting in a pub in Soho here in New York with a couple friends and we were just having beers, just, you know, kind of shooting the shit. Um, but we were mostly talking about how we don't have enough time to, you know, fill in the blank the reason we came to New York. You know, one mm. friend didn't have enough time to audition one, you know, and I'm just like, I don't have enough time to write. And I don't know why, but when I left the pub, it hit me. I was just like, OK, I just spent four hours mm. talking about how I don't have time to write. <laughs> <laughs> and and I spent those four hours drinking and it just it clicked for me Um you know, a little bit of backstory. I was a part, a party girl bartender, you know, lived that stereotypical cliche party girl life. Um, and so I, I, I always, I think on some level knew that I drank too much, but it was also very normalized. Totally. So, um, what, but once I, you know, once I moved to New York and had a change of scenery and I, you know, I, I I did. I had this awakening of like, OK, I just spent four hours in the pub and I'm uh, four hours in the pub talking about how I don't have time to write, but I was drinking. Um, so the next morning I woke up and I didn't drink for uh, I was like, oh, I'm not going to drink for a week. I'm not going to drink for two weeks. And then my 30th birthday uh, was coming up and I was like, what if I don't drink for a full year? And I just, I blog about it. So, so this was 2015, you know, and like when everyone had blogs and we didn't have the word sober curious yet, but that's, that is definitely what I was. Mm. Um, so the blog was phenomenal. Uh, not, not the writing, <laughs> but the <laughs> blogging itself <laughs> was a phenomenal tool in my, what I now know is recovery. 
I, um, I, I, and I say that it was such a good tool because it held me accountable both for writing mm. and for not drinking. Mm. And I found that those two for me were very symbiotic. Like there was really something about not drinking um, that amplified my writing <laughs> and how writing inspired my not drinking. And then here we are, you know, spoiler alert, um, almost eight years without alcohol, having a book coming out. And my theory was correct. Alcohol was absolutely uh, standing in the way of my creativity. And I, I know for a fact, I wouldn't be here talking with you if I, if I wasn't sober curious back then. It's so valid to be in that discovery phase. And how freaking sick that your ability to be present lended, I don't know, you're the writer, you can tell me if, the, if that's a word or not, lent, lent to your creativity because sometimes it can feel like the polar opposite. I know so many people, myself included, like with it, comedy or acting where I felt like alcohol was the was the thing that helped me be better. So what a beautiful thing that being sober helped you be better at your passion and your creativity. Um, was it like that throughout? Like from the jump, you were like, cool, this is helping me fuel what I want. 100%. It was, yes, absolutely. Um, and it, I mean, it was, I, I really just wanted to be sober for a year. That was the plan. You know, I was like, I'm just not going to drink for a year. Yeah. Um, and then when the one year mark was coming around, I, I had a few friends asking like, so, like, you know, you're about to be 31. Are you going to, do you think you'll drink again? <laughs> and I was just like, I don't think so. Like I'm actually, you know, in that year, I just had so many moments of personal growth and just personal betterment all around of like, I finally started therapy and I was writing consistently mm. and I met so many cool, sober women that, you know, I just, all of these really interesting experiences happened that I, I would have never, never experienced without, um, without sobriety. So I really didn't feel yeah. like the, so like when people asked me like, Oh, are you going to drink again? It just, it really just didn't make any sense. Like why, why would I, what, like what, mm -hmm. what is like, I didn't feel like anything was missing. If anything, it was like, why would I go back to that? I'm not like alcohol isn't offering me anything right now. <laughs> so no, I'm good. Yes. So, you know, I'm, and I'm 37 now and I haven't had a drink since. Eight years is major. Eight years is, is insane. Like, you know, I quit drinking in November of 2015. So, um, it's wild. I, I, it's as corny as it is. I would have never thought in a million years that I would <laughs> a be sober and be like, you know, preaching the gospel of the benefits of alcohol-free sex and dating on a podcast <laughs> living in New York, you know, like that, that was not on my bingo card for life at all. Um, but they say, you know, when you, when you quit drinking, that there is a life beyond your wildest dreams. And that is a hundred percent. That is what I'm, I'm, I'm living. And I'm not, I don't want, it's not all like rainbows and sunshine. It's, I do want to be very, very transparent right. that recovery is hard. You know, it's, it's difficult. Mm -hmm. 
Um, but so was, so was living life with undiagnosed <laughs> anxiety and depression and self-medicating. That was also really hard. Yes, it's such a good point. It's like, it, it really is. Which heart are you going to choose? Exactly. Which heart are you going to choose? And and taking the power. And okay, so it is so true that a, a life beyond your wildest dreams is just around the corner for you. And I know that it does take time, but like you're in it. And to your point, like, you wrote a whole freaking book from <laughs> writing a blog for a year, which is super valid and a huge thing to take on. I want to talk about how big it is to take on an entire book. And what was your moment of clarity like on making the choice to write this phenomenal book? Thank you so much for saying that. Uh, for me, you know, I just, I really wanted to, create the resource that I needed when I was newly sober. When I, when I was newly sober, the thought of dating, let alone having sex or being in a long-term relationship without alcohol seemed foreign to me. I just, like I said, I was a bartender party girl. All of my relationships, friendships, and romantic relationships began in the bar. So I didn't know any other way. Mm -hmm. And also getting sober and entering the dating world taught me that I really didn't even know how to date. I I didn't date when I drank. I met people in bars and then we hooked up and then sometimes it would be a one night stand, sometimes it'd be a casual thing or or we would move in together, but I never actually dated. So there was a lot to learn and so that's all, you know, written in the book in like, this is the guidebook, you know, the subtitle, a guide to dating, relating and hooking up without the booze. Like it really is like, there's sober date ideas. There's conversation starters for when it's awkward. You know, it's like, it, it's it's all in there. Yeah. It is totally like I I see that you created something that you needed because it really is so thoughtful from how it's broken down to the tips to even just how you approach things. I mean, there the part that I mean I really loved and I mean, to be clear, I'm not dating. Like I'm not on a profile. I don't have a dating profile, but it's all things that I've totally thought about. Like, whoa, if I was me, you know, 5 years ago mm -hmm. and had was on Hinge or Bumble or Tinder or whatever, um what I put that I was dating and you even break down like the pros and cons to how you approach all of the things like putting sober in your dating profile. What's the pro and what's the con just to really give people what I see. I think you internally probably wanted, which was all the options, all the options there. Yes. That's, I, that's the word is options. I was like, I I wanted options. So yeah. I wanted to give readers options. Like I can tell, like in the book, I do tell you what works for me, but ultimately I, ha yeah. I also tried all of these other things and other people had success trying them other ways. So it's like, you know, like mm -hmm. there's no one way to get sober. There's also no one way to date sober. There's no one way to be on the apps sober. So I really want readers to have different options and figure out what works best for them. I want to talk about chapter five a little bit because it is a topic that I 
am so curious about and that I think most people um, when they are in a relationship have kind of running through their head, which is like, how do I date someone who drinks? Yeah. And that can like mean how do I go – do I want to go on dates with people who still drink? Do I not? Do I want to keep it to people who are sober? Or even like the current relationship I'm in, maybe the my partner doesn't want to stop drinking. How do I do that? Like give me the skinny because that is so <laughs> interesting and I think more common than we really understand. It is. It I – I'm I'm glad that you that you brought that up and it was it was such a he, like a a complex topic that mm-hmm. I felt like it really did need its own chapter because it is it's a recurring subject a recurring question that I get um you know I also I have a weekly advice call about sober dating and relationships called Beyond Liquid Courage and I get so many questions about my partner dates or or my, my partner dates, my partner drinks. <laughs> that's a different book. <laughs> that's, another, that's a different book. Um, you know, my partner drinks or this guy I'm seeing kind of drinks too much. Like mm-hmm. it, it just, it comes up a lot. Um, especially if you're in a long-term relationship and both of you drink frequently and then one of you decides to cut back or even give up alcohol altogether. So, you know, there's, like that's what I'm saying. Like it's very complex, um, and to really just, if I could summarize that chapter in one line, it really is. It helps you figure out how to take care of yourself first, Ooh. because that is that is all you can do. You know, it can bring up being with someone who drinks, especially if you're on your own sober curious or sober journey, it could really bring up some possible codependency. Mm. You might try to save your partner. You might try to fix them or get them on your own path. And it's just as much as you want to, and as much as you love them, you just can't control that. Yes. And it's, it is so freaking hard. And that is ultimately what leads to a lot of breakups yeah. in in sobriety. People realize that maybe alcohol is the only thing that they have in common with their spouse or their partner. And when one person in the relationship quits drinking, it can put a lot of stress on the relationship, um, especially if the other person does have a problematic relationship with alcohol and they're just not ready to look at it, Mm -hmm. which is why I say you have to take care of yourself first because you can't save them. Um, as much as you love them, you, you just, you can't, you have to take care of your own sobriety first, whatever that looks like, whether you're going to meetings, going to therapy, going to yoga, journaling, or if it's a mix of all of those things, focusing on what you can control, which is yourself um, can absolutely is, is the really the only way to show up for your partner who still drinks. I think that that is so relevant, even if you took it out of the topic of sobriety or dating somebody, being in a relationship with somebody that, you know, is still drinking and you're not. I mean, you could take it as small as like, I'm really into fitness now and my partner yes. can't, won't get off the couch. And how do I navigate that? And it, re- it that is so freaking good and i'm i'm so thankful that you just summarized it in that one sentence because sometimes we just need the one sentence sometimes the one sentence is all that we can 
freaking process in the moment and we Mm -hmm. need to keep going back to it. And I think throughout this book, you've really done a phenomenal job at there is so much information, but there are also like very clear one-liners throughout where I feel like I took away a lot just from one sentence and I, and I'm just, I think it's just so important. So thank you for summarizing it so um, quickly for me. With, with that, like with taking care of yourself, I think I want to talk also, I mean, look, this is all going to be about the book because it's just so good. (laughs) It's just so freaking good. Thank you. But I think it's you, and I love that you took it even deeper, I think, than yes, you're dating But there's also, I feel like it starts with a relationship with yourself and how you feel internally and kind of the conversations that you have with yourself. And then even conversations and relationships with with other people um, that aren't necessarily sexual or romantic. Um, And I'm talking about when you break down the differences the different kind of responses when you tell somebody you're not drinking I think in the book it's in the under the guise of like you're telling somebody you're dating that you're not drinking. but I I do think that this all is applicable to telling your family member telling your sibling telling your coworkers, telling it all of these responses it really gave me clarity and my own independent aha moments of being able to categorize other people's responses into these four. So defensive, freaked out, supportive, and indifferent. I'm just wondering if you can give me a little like skinny on all of those. Yeah. Um, Cause yeah, it's, it's so good. That's it's a great point. Like a, a lot of this book, you really can apply it to just interpersonal relationships in general. A lot of it can is really how to, show up for yourself so you can show up for others. You know, obviously it's written through the lens of, you know, of romantic relationships and sex and dating. Um, But it's also a lot of these tips will help you become a better friend, will help you be a better daughter, sister, niece, you know, like um, it really is honing in on who you are without alcohol so you can, figure figure your own shit out and then then you bring other people into that relationship with yourself you know and um like we said earlier when we were talking about um when your partner still drinks you know when you tell someone whether you've been in a long-term relationship or it's a new relationship and you're like getting to know each other when you tell someone that you don't drink i've found (laughs) there's really similar um, reactions, you yeah. know, um, s- supportive is the, is the best one. <laughs> in my opinion, I think you would want to feel supported. That's what um, you want to feel supported. You want to feel heard. Um, and, 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 you know, in, in the book, I give readers tips on like, what is, what is a supportive response look mm-hmm. like? What is an indifferent response look like? Um, and I think like, you know, big red flag, what does a defensive response look like? And it gives the readers some tangible, you know, actionable tips on how to navigate those conversations and also acknowledging the nuance of, you know, telling someone you're sober curious 
is very different than telling someone that you are in recovery from alcohol use yes. disorder. You know, those are there there's there is a lot of overlap. You know, that Venn diagram definitely has a lot in the middle. Um but really treating each individual person's relationship with alcohol differently mm-hmm. is is really kind of the, like the meat of this conversation, yeah, you know. It's so true. And I think you know the response that stuck out for me that I really valued having a label attached to it was I don't really drink that much that was put under a defensive and I get that so much and I got it so much (laughs) in my early sobriety and it used to make me feel really uncomfortable and I couldn't understand why. And I, I, I didn't know also, you know, when I'm you're newly sober, you're like, what are feelings? This is new. What am I feeling? How do I even like label yes. it? I got to let it pass. But I would feel like a mix of like anger and defensiveness and annoyance. And like I'd also shut down totally. And so the just having examples under a category I think is really important for people in new sobriety period, whether you're going to go date or not, just to know how to, I don't know, it's like it makes it more digestible in the moment to be like, okay, that's a defensive response, not to judge the person for having it, but so you can have the, the power in not feeling thrown off. Um, that's that's a great point and it's i i think really like reading this book and even just listening to this conversation can help you feel a little more armed with resources mm-hmm. right Absolutely. you know it's like like oh okay like this person i'm on a date with this person and like we're really getting along but i told them i don't drink and they got like really defensive and how how do i deal with that you know and it's really, and it, it's all, it all goes back to taking care of yourself yeah. and not, not trying, you know, like not trying to rescue this person, mm-hmm. you know, um, I, in my early sobriety, in my sober dating journeys, God, I had a lot of dates end up treating our date like in a, like a therapy session <laughs> <laughs> when they found out that I like, they're like, when they found out I didn't drink, it was just, they would just pour everything onto the table. And I'm just like, Oh God, this is not why yeah. I'm here. Like there's so many more things I I would love to discuss with you. I want to get to know you and tell you other things about me. Like sobriety is just one thing mm-hmm. about me, but those are, I think those are, those could be some possible, you know, red or yellow flags where, you know, if this person only wants to talk about sobriety and alcohol, then maybe there's something there. You know, a lot of people treat your sobriety as a mm-hmm. mirror and that's why they get defensive. So it really is figuring out, okay, where is this person on their mental health totally. journey? And are we a good yeah. fit? Whereas before, I was never self-aware enough. I didn't care about my mental health. I was just like, if you're paying attention to me, I'm into Mm -hmm. you, (laughs) you know, like let's hook up, let's move in together. I'll do everything that you ask. Um, And it's just, I I would say like sober dating, um, 
sober sex, sober relationships really just taught me how to respect myself more and raise my standards and not put up with a bunch of bullshit. Yeah, this is a book of confidence. I really feel like, um, and you know, for a lot of people, some some people, of course, don't feel like a sexual energy is something that gives them power. They can take it or leave it. Totally fine. And some people really enjoy having that in their life and in kind of one of the pillars that make up their confidence. And so mm-hmm. it's just like there's no way I could even cover everything because it's so much and so good and so like so many aha moments. What was the timeline like on like figuring all of this out? Like how did you keep track of it? <laughs> That's a great question. Um, you know, I I started this book like I'm I'm often asked how long did it take you to write this book? Right. <laughs> and there's many answers to that because I can tell you how long, like once I figured out what the book is going to be, it was a couple months okay. that I, I outlined it and I got it out. But figuring out what it's supposed to be took years, Ooh, years yes. and years and years. So, you know, it's, I, I initially wrote the book as a memoir. I wanted to write like the taunt, like Tawny's getting sober dating experience. Um, and I workshopped it as a memoir for years and I realized that, you know, like when, and when I say workshopping, I mean, I was taking writing classes, memoir writing classes with other, uh, with a writing teacher and other writers. And we would read each other's work and give each other feedback. And I, they would ask, my classmates would ask really thoughtful questions, um, about, about my work and I found myself feeling very defensive and but they were asking great questions <laughs> and I was like interesting I was like oh, I was like okay maybe I'm not ready to write about this or I because it's difficult to write a memoir and not tell other people's story too oh, so true you know so there was there was a lot of <laughs> a lot of hurdles that I found in the memoir form Um, so I, but I still wrote, I wrote lots and lots of, of the book as a memoir. And then when I realized it didn't really make sense for me, um, I actually, I hired a writing coach and I ultimately pulled myself out of the story and just wrote about the subject of sober sex and dating from a journalistic perspective. I, as you know, you see like my story is definitely in the book, but it's more, it's, I've inter- I interviewed dozens of people so and there's tons experts. of research and data. Yeah. Like it's not, it's, it's not the Tawny story. It's really about liquid courage and pop culture tropes and like really examining the role alcohol plays in our love lives, how we've been, how we receive these subliminal messages through film and television and how that shows up in our, in our actual lives, you know, and, um, that once, once I put, like I said, once I pulled myself out of the story and really just dug in and nerded out on research, that's when the story came together. And I was able to write it in a few months because I knew exactly what I wanted it to be. Can I just say that I really needed to hear that? Because I think it is so <laughs> hard sometimes 
to pivot and to evolve because really that's all it is is you evolved to a different version I guess uh, than what you had started in terms of you know it's not your own story but it can be so hard to let it go just like it can be hard to set down a drink just like it can be hard to make a lifestyle change or or decide to be open to dating and I I'm just thankful that you shared that because I personally needed to hear it. And I'm sure somebody else out there can get inspired with the concept of not fully, you know, abandoning something necessarily, but letting it evolve with you and being open to a different Mm -hmm. delivery, a different package. And yes, yeah. Um, I know that you did take yourself out of it. But what you didn't take out was like the most intimate bits, which (laughs) is sex. And I think that sex and intimacy is really hard to navigate, especially if you are used to doing the act numb or not really remembering Mm -hmm. or without connection and it being strictly body Um, and what you share are kind of the different kinds of aphrodisiacs. And I'm like, mind blown, literally mind blown. (laughs) What inspired kind of elaborating on something past the oyster, which is included, but something past that, like what, what gave you that motivation? I, I love that you brought up the herbal aphrodisiacs. It is a whole chapter it is. On, on herbal aphrodisiacs. Um, one of my pandemic hobbies actually was herbalism and still is herbalism. I got really into, you know, uh, well, I, I, I got really into tea when I quit mm-hmm. drinking in general. The blog that, I'm ta- that I mentioned earlier, I, it was called Sobria Tea Party. So I was nice. very into tea. Um, and then in the pandemic, I got really into just learning about the different herbs that were in the teas that I liked and learning about the, you know, the history and tradition and the lore, how these herbs were used for thousands of years um, before we had pills for everything. <laughs> and, um, you know, I am definitely, I'm not a doctor. I'm not I am not an herbalist. I am not like definitely see a doctor before implementing any of these herbal aphrodisiacs into your uh, recovery. Um, But this is some of the research that I really enjoyed nerding out on was learning about the history of herbs like ashwagandha and blue lotus and um, Damiana and playing around, making my own herbal blends. Um, And, but like, the the takeaway of the chapter is really like it doesn't matter if these herbs quote unquote work the takeaway is finding hobbies in recovery mm. um or sober curiosity and there's also there's just this there is a slowness and a mindfulness that just inherently comes when you're drinking tea mm. um because you, you're you're and i think that that can really show up in your um, relationship in an interesting way where it's like, you know, maybe you and your partner used to split a bottle of wine with dinner every night 
how about instead of that you you make an interesting herbal tea and you guys have that after dinner and um you know you can experiment with what with what is fun for Mm. you and i i also wanted to include herbal aphrodisiacs because another one of the questions that i get so often is you know how can i feel how can i feel more confident how can i do this like basically people they're like people are looking for an alcohol replacement mm-hmm. <laughs> like how can i feel like i took a shot of tequila without taking a shot of tequila right and that's not that's not really a thing like i'm <laughs> we're not trying to like like let's not quit drinking and then just like start doing other yeah. other things right. like don't don't quit drinking and start like smoking weed all the time. Like let's be mindful and learn about these herbs. Totally. Um, that that's that it, it's the mindfulness that comes with it. Right. And then I also have a section in that chapter about like how communication can be an aphrodisiac and how yes. like sensory play and doing, you know, really getting present with your partner and playing that, that can be, a turn on in and of itself. Yeah, I think you call them emotional aphrodisiacs. And I yeah. freaking I'm obsessed because especially if you're working like a program or something like you don't want to experiment with herbs of any kind, you have it all within your body to get to that place that you're wanting to go. And really I love that you also talk about asking the simple question of why and how that question is so helpful in helping you navigate what you're chasing and can really help you be mindful in why you're approaching things, why you're reaching for things, why you're feeling the way that you're feeling. Um, God, I love this book. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much. I could go on for chapters and chapters and I, uh, I, I really could. Um, but I know you have a million things to do. So I want to wrap this up with my final question, which is what is something currently in your sober care routine? I love this question. Um, if, if I, if I could do a sh- another shameless plug, yes. um, my, my partner who is, who is also sober, um, he was a sommelier. So he knew tons about wine and flavor <gasps> profiles. Um, and so he brought all of that knowledge into starting his own, um, vinegar brand. He has an artisanal vinegar brand. Cool. And the reason I share that is because cooking has been a really big part of my sobriety toolkit. And um, I never in a million years cooked with vinegar. (laughs) Um, But being in a long-term relationship with someone who makes artisanal vinegar has really taught me a lot about food and how vinegar can really brighten up a meal. Um, So I, I would say, you know, getting experimental in the kitchen and ha- just having fun cooking, learning about different flavors. Um, and the, the vinegar is called sour humanoid okay, if, you're, if you're interested. I was wondering why that was who you wrote it to. I was like, oh, that must be a very cute nickname. Um, but great. Yes. Yeah. The book, <laughs> the book is dedicated 
to to Nick. I sh- I showed it to him when the the physical copies arrived. Uh, it says like you know for Nick my sour humanoid and yeah it was be- because it's like it it really it takes a village to write a book. He was so supportive and so helpful with reading drafts uh, and cooking for me yeah. when I didn't have the energy to cook because I was writing all day and um I you know I found love in sobriety and I am so so grateful for it and I love that we have sobriety in common um and I love that you know he turned his one of his hobbies in early sobriety was making vinegar just for fun and he turned it into a business and so I think that I think that is so interesting because like we said at the very beginning, when you get sober, you can live a life beyond your wildest dreams. He never thought he would have a vinegar business in a a million years, but you know, when you, when you stop drinking and you stand up for yourself and you really take stock of what matters to you, you learn a hell of a lot about yourself and you take very different routes in life. Yes. When you replace your habits with your passions, the world opens. It really does. And I'm that is so cool. I'm looking it up after this. Um, thank you for that that little insight into your sober care routine. And thank you for writing this freaking good book, Dry Hubbing. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for having me. This was great. For more guidance on building your sober care routine, head to clearheaded.co or follow us on Instagram at clearheaded.co.